Today's guest is Lewis Howes, a New York Times bestselling author, lifestyle entrepreneur, high-performance business coach, and a keynote speaker, a former professional football player, and two-sport All-American. Lewis hosts a top 100 iTunes podcast called The School of Greatness, which I was lucky to be a guest on and which has over 100 million downloads and over 1,000 episodes since its launch in 2013. Lewis has taken struggles and trauma and become a phenomenal business success and a motivational resource to so many other entrepreneurs trying to break out and cut a new road for themselves. So today's episode, we are going to dive into his personal story, go back to the school of greatness, and learn what it takes to have a millionaire morning. So Lewis, thanks for being on the show, friend. Kelly, thank you so much. I appreciate you. I mean, we were just talking before the show gets start got started. I think a lot of times people look at people like you and they're like, oh, he has this awesome team and he's a well-oiled machine and he's so successful. And and you know, we started our our little call talking about like how it can be heavy. Like yeah. life can be heavy. You can be carrying a lot emotionally when you have a big business and a lot of so relationships. So I really yeah, appreciate it's, it. It's tough when you uh when your mission is to serve people and you're constantly in relationship with lots of different people. And then if you let one person down and then there's a setback or some type of emotional hurt or whatever it might be, it's a lot of people you got to deal with to, to manage that emotion. But I feel very fortunate to be privileged to have that opportunity to, to try to serve people and help people. And I think I got to constantly pinch myself that um, I'm able to impact a lot of people through my work. And uh, I'm just very grateful. So, you're definitely impacting the masses. Um, obviously, through your podcasts and your, you know, before COVID, your live events and your, you know, the school of greatness and all the things that you have going on. But it didn't always start out so bright lights and mm-hmm. Hollywood and huge sort of business. Um, what What did your childhood look like, and how did how did it start for you? You know, it's funny. The more I analyze other people and their life and try to, I really try to find out why people are the way they are. Uh, I do that for myself a lot as well. And I, gosh, I, I grew up with a lot of goodness in my life. But also when I look back, I, I made okay a lot of badness, like being sexually abused when I was five. For 25 years, I just kind of swept it under the table. It's like, okay, it was this thing that happened, but I'm never going to tell a soul because then it would make me look weak or it would make me look, or it wasn't that big of a deal, or it's okay. I can move beyond it. I'm bigger and stronger now. Uh, you know, dealing with that, I think, was a, a traumatic event that I didn't know how to process until about seven years ago when I started to do the work of just healing myself, forgiveness, forgiveness of other people. Uh, and I'm a constant work in progress, that's for sure. That was a big moment. Also, my brother going to prison affected me in a big way. I think when you look at your hero, you know every older sibling is usually a hero to some, to their younger kids, uh, younger siblings. He was eleven years older than me, and I just remember being in awe of him when I was, you know, five, six, seven. Uh, little that I didn't know that he was going through his own traumatic experiences, from family dynamics to school dynamics and things like that. And he made some bad decisions and went to prison for selling drugs to an undercover cop when I was eight. So for the next four and a half years, he was sentenced six to 25 years on his first offense of selling drugs when he was 18 years old. 
because on the uh, the war against drugs at that time, they're trying to make examples of people in Ohio at that time. But as an eight-year-old, going into a prison every weekend was was a lot. There's just a lot of weight, a lot of energy to to sit in the room with convicts for four or five hours and hear the stories that I was hearing and witness the things that I was witnessing. And it kind of became familiar. It was like, okay, you go in there, you get stripped down, searched, you're sitting there, you're in a room of convicts. When at the end of the day, like I was connecting with all these convicts and they were, they were pretty nice people. They were nice to me, but they just made some bad choices. And so I never thought like these people are bad and wrong. I just knew they made some bad choices like my brother, who was my hero. And there was just a number of moments like that that kind of built up this experience for me. And I interpreted the experience in a certain way that, that drove me to get results in my life, but also drove me to kind of prove people wrong for a long time. And every time I would achieve, I was doing it from a place of trying to prove others wrong about me or who people who doubted me. And it was never fulfilling. It was never enough. And I kind of had this, I don't know if it was empty, but lonely feeling inside a lot, especially when I would achieve my goals. And it wasn't until I was about 30, about seven years ago, when I went through some breakdowns in my life in kind of every area that I could break down. And I started to say, okay, something's wrong with me. Like all these breakdowns are happening to one person. The common denominator is me. I'm probably the problem. So I I took my ego to the side. It was kind of forced to the side and made me really kind of take a look at like, okay, what is everything about me that I can improve or can enhance on? And that's kind of part of the reason the School of Greatness was born uh, out of a desire for me to continue to learn and then be able to share what I'm learning with other people. And I've made a lot of mistakes in the last seven years and I've done some things well and some things that I'm still learning on. And I'm just grateful for the consistent lessons and the growth with everything. I feel like it's all happening for a reason. And I'm just appreciative of it. Even even if it's not like the best thing I want in the moment, it always, I look back at it and I'm like, gosh, that was exactly what I needed to help me and to help my mission. Definitely. You were searching outside of yourself for validation and to prove people wrong. And then you kind of turned it into this curiosity to learn from other people Mm -hmm. and become more vulnerable. So what I heard you say was that in the past, it was all about proving people wrong and maybe not even experiencing what those joys were, Mm -hmm. those wins were, what those good moments were. How do you try to experience the joy and the positivity that you're creating now? Um, I, I just really try to live in a playful state. And uh, celebrate every day, every moment, um, every night. I'm next to my girlfriend. And I'm always talking about three things I'm most grateful for and evoking that out of her. I think gratefulness, playfulness, and celebration. I just try to focus on the daily wins, small stuff, things I'm overcoming, big victories, whatever it may be, and focusing on celebrating every day, especially during the last six months or seven months with pandemic just a lot of tragedy, a lot of loss, a lot of heartache. And, um, you know, with, with all the different stresses people are going through, I just get to, I get to celebrate that I'm healthy, that I'm alive, that I've got good people in my corner. And, uh, I remember a time where it was kind of like my pandemic, 2007 to 2008, end of 2008, when the last economy had crashed, I was on my sister's couch after I got done playing football 
had a surgery, had no money, was living off you know credit cards, was had student loan debt, and I was just like, what am I going to do with my life? I kind of felt like that was my time now for a lot of people. That was for me then. So I feel like the last 12 years has prepared me for this moment uh, where luckily I've saved a lot of my money, so I'm not stressing there. I've got a business launch, so I'm not stressing there as much. It's more just making sure I take care of my health and try to give as much as I can from things I've learned in the last 12 years to the best of my ability. So I feel like everything's been preparing me for this moment and I'm just trying to do the best I can. Yeah, well, you're doing a great job. When you, you yeah, when you look at like that time when you were couch surfing at your sister's house, and I mean, look at you now, like the wealth that you've built, the business that you've built, the life that you've built. And there are a lot of people listening that are probably on that proverbial couch somewhere trying to think like, how am I going to take it to the next level layer on the pandemic and layer on 2020 in general, it feels a little overwhelming. What were some of those daily things that you did and what, how did you retain your motivation back then to, to make it happen? I remember early on just seeking answers and seeking role models. My father, the year prior, had gotten into a really bad car accident where he had a head-on collision. The car actually went through the windshield, hit him in his head, and opened up his skull. And he was in a coma for three months. And so it was a very traumatic kind of few years as I look back on it of emotionally losing my father. He actually woke up and he's still alive today. But he, there's not the same connection that I had for the first 22 years of my life when he was emotionally and mentally there. Now he's physically there. You can have a conversation, but you know he doesn't know who I am a lot of the times. He, he asks the same questions over and over. And it's hard to have that deeper emotional bond uh, with, a, with him where he's there for me as a parent. So it's almost like I lost my father at the same time as well, emotionally, and didn't have him to lean on. And so I started seeking other role models, mentors, who I was just like, who's got the answers? I need answers because I'm screwed right now. And I reached out to... I was living in Columbus, Ohio at the time with my sister. And I reached out to three different kind of mentors that I leaned on, who I was inspired by, and really just tried to lean on them and learn from them. One of them gave me like this internship where he paid me, I think it was like 500 bucks for six months where I just got to like be in his office and kind of do what any job I could do. I was literally in the closet of the kitchen uh, in this little cubby hole in the kitchen. And I worked out of there for six months doing everything I could, learning, taking action. And these three mentors really kind of gave me the lessons that I wish I was getting from a podcast then that wasn't available in, back in 2007, uh, 8, and 9. And they were there for me. And I bugged the crap out of them. And I did any homework they gave me. One said, okay, you want to overcome your fear of public speaking? You got to go to Toastmasters every week for at least a year until you're not afraid anymore. And I showed up every week. I filmed myself. I would watch it back. I would have tutoring in this because I wasn't proficient in public speaking. And it was a fear that was crippling me getting up and speaking in front of three people. So I You'd never know to, that now. <laughs> no, I, I could not. I couldn't stand up in front of classmates and say anything without sweating, trembling, stumbling over my words. And so, because it crippled me, I never would want to try it because I was so embarrassed. Yeah. But I did it for a year, every single week, and I just took action on what my mentors told me to do to learn. Um, 
that was one mentor. Another mentor, I was afraid of putting my writing out in the world because I was never good in English. I was not a good writer either. And another mentor who was an author, I, I, I met people that I aspired, that I was impressed with and aspired to be like, he was an author, had written five books. And he was like, I was helping him with LinkedIn at the time because I was using LinkedIn all day long to kind of like figure out any opportunities. And he was like, and I was helping him because he had a successful business. And I was like, here's what you should do here, here, here. And it got him a bunch of clients. He goes, you need to write a book about this. And I go, I have no idea what I'm doing. So he helped me for six months, write a book. And he co-wrote it with me. It was my first book back in 2009, 11 years ago. And I was terrified, but I had a mentor that gave me homework every week. Here's what I need you to write. Take this action, do it. And I'll support you a little bit the rest of the way. That's just things that I did. I found role models and I said, give me something to do. I will do it. Whatever you want me to do, I will do it. And I think that that mindset and approach of I'm willing to fail, I'm willing to do things that are really hard and embarrassing for me that I'm not good at, if this is what's going to help me get the results that I want and, and improve my life, you know, make a living, uh, overcome these insecurities, I will do whatever you tell me to do. So those were a couple of things that I did. I was really coachable and willing to embarrass myself over and over again uh, in the pursuit of something greater. I was risking uh, people saying no to me by reaching out to people and asking them to, to kind of mentor and guide me or have a coffee with me or something. I was risking people saying no over and over. And I was just really hungry. I was hungry for something different. I think that's what really worked for me back then. And it's what still continues to work for me now. I love that. I think so many entrepreneurs, when they get started, they're so afraid to ask for help. And then they put the onus on themselves to do the work and to do the homework. Like, today I'm going to spend 20 minutes or an hour on my business building it on the side. And then they're never making the time to do it. And what I heard you say is that you signed up for Toastmasters and you went. And you had a mentor that gave you homework. And I think that right there, there's so much special sauce in that when someone's telling you and asking you, if you're willing to do the work and they're willing to kind of set the deadlines for you, all of a sudden you wake up six months later and you're like, wow, look what we've created. We wrote a book or look what I've done. I can now stand up in front of a group. What? That's it. I got this right in front of me. I'll give you two examples in current time. For the last 20 years, I've been... At the end of every year, I ask myself, like, what am I proud of that I created this year? What am I not proud of? And what's the thing that I regret? And every year, I have things in every category, but there's been one thing that I've regretted for the last 20 years, and that's not learning Spanish. For whatever reason, mm-hmm. I feel, I already feel like just, I already felt like the dumbest kid in every class I was in because I was in the bottom of my class. And I was just like, man, I can barely speak English, let alone learn another language. But it'd be amazing if I could learn another language. And it's really been hard for me. I took five years in high school and college combined. I've tried apps. I've tried tutoring, all these different things over the years. Because I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it. And then I try and then I stop because it gets really hard for my brain. It hurts my brain a lot. And this year, I just said, okay... I'm either going to continually regret this every year 
and say, I'll work on it next year, or I'm actually going to commit to it. I'm going to invest it. I'm going to schedule it in and do it. And it's going to suck. It's going to be really hard. My brain is going to hurt. And for the last three and a half months, I committed to that, four months now. And I've got my freaking Spanish homework right here, my <laughs> verb conjugations right here. It's like that I'm practicing. And I tell you what, I do it three times a week. I schedule it in. I found a tutor that works for me. I invest in it. And it hurts my brain every time to the point where I want to, take, I want to fall asleep. I want to, I want to give up. I want to quit. But I just keep thinking at the end of the year, will I be proud of myself or will I regret this if I stop? And will I keep saying, I want to learn this language? And for me, I even need to say, okay, this is not for me. I'm done having this dream and I, I give up on this dream and I'm letting it go. But I haven't let it go yet because I still want it. So I'm like, I'm going to commit to this for two years, scheduled in and see how far I can go. And from there, then I'll reassess this and see if it's, if I have any progress or if I'm still like this ignorant kid trying to learn Spanish, I'm doing that in Spanish. And also I just committed a, a week ago and running a marathon, which I've never run more than five miles. Um, and I made a commitment last week because it's something I've been thinking about that's kind of like nagging me like, yeah, I would like to do that one day, but I have zero. It's not fun thinking for me, but it's like, I know it's something I'll regret if I don't do it in the future. And so I ran 10 miles to prove to myself last week that I can't, that I am a marathon runner and shifting my mindset and my identity around it when usually I get tired within three miles. And now I'm like, okay, I can see myself in five, six months, like getting to 26.2 miles. But it's making the commitments, scheduling it in, having the accountability, and finding a model of someone that I admire each time. I need a model for me to be able to see what's possible for myself. And that's what I continue to do today. Yeah, there were so many little nuggets that you just even said right there was, was really getting, you know, having a model and having a mentor and being able to to follow in their footsteps, but also to rewrite your story. Because if, you know, wanting to learn Spanish has been a regret for 20 years, it's either something that we scratch off the list and decide that it's no longer important, or we do the work to make it work (laughs) and to get it off that regrets list and to make it a success list. That's it. And sometimes it's not on our, it's not us doing it. It's, it's asking for the help. And you did, you, you paid for it, you scheduled it, you have a tutor and you're doing the work. And I can tell you're proud. You got your homework right there. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I'm proud of it. And it's, it's also learning to not need the result as fast as possible because I'm so used to like accomplishing quickly. But it's for me finding the joy in the time. I mean, with Spanish class, I'm telling you, it's like the Eeny beady little wins because it's like, oh my gosh, I remembered this one word. It's like, I feel like my teacher thinks I'm the slowest learner because we've been going over the same thing for months and I feel like I'm not getting it. But I'll finally something will click a little bit and I'm like, let me celebrate that. Not focus on the things that I'm not learning fast enough like everyone else. Let me focus on the little wins and enjoy the process. And as opposed to like getting so tired, which happens, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to make this hour fun. Even if I don't get it, what can I make the most out of this? That's something I try to focus on. It's so good because when you look at learning a new language or running a marathon, these are really big goals. They're really big goals that seem scary, that seem like they're going to make your body and your brain hurt. And so it's very easy for people to say, well, I'll just 
cross off these other things on my to-do list or I'll just shoot that email off or I'll do the easy yeah. things. Yeah. It's hard to it's hard to break those things up and and to get them done, but they're this I mean that's the that's the fabric of this like of life that makes it that makes you feel like you can conquer really big things yeah. is when you take on those long journeys. And I think you build I think one of the self-doubt is the uh the, the killer of dreams for people, in my opinion. And I think you build confidence and belief in yourself when you commit to doing like things that are going to take a while. And, uh, you know, I feel so much more confident knowing that I spent a year of training weekly on public speaking. And I use that 10 years later, and I'm going to use that for the rest of my life. It's like a year of challenge and discomfort for a lifetime of opportunities. Same thing with salsa dancing. It took me many, many, many months of embarrassment for a lifetime of pleasure, joy, and connection and confidence in that arena. And I keep thinking to myself, like, man, there's just a world of people in Latin America, and I'm around so many Latin people, and the culture is so beautiful, and the people are so amazing. But I feel like they don't have the message that we deliver here at the School of Greatness that I would wish I could communicate to them in a more powerful way so they can understand it. And in order for me to accomplish that mission, I need to be able to understand them and the language, in my opinion, uh, to, to get even deeper in that connection and that relationship. So I feel like it's more of a responsibility and a duty for me now for myself, but also to try to serve more people. And so, and I just know that when I learn the language, it might take four, six, eight years. I have no idea how long it'll take. But when I learn the language, I'm going to be proud. Even if I'm not using it, I'm going to be proud that I can speak to someone who only speaks Spanish and I can have a conversation. And I'm never going to be perfect, but at least I can have a conversation and connect. I feel like I'm going to be proud and confident knowing how hard I worked to make that happen. So that's what I try to focus on. That's so good. It's so good. I feel like if you're out to influence and motivate people, there is there are so many people out there that need you to be able to speak to them in their language. And it's showing yeah. that you're putting in the effort, which is amazing. Exactly. What um, Obviously, you've interviewed famous athletes and best-selling authors and some of the most motivational people in the world on your podcast. Um, you know, I want to say for the last decade, but you're almost there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, what are some of the greatest lessons that you've learned that you've started to incorporate into your life? Or what are some of the commonalities you've seen between these like really amazing people? Um, something that just comes to mind in the moment because it was recent is it doesn't matter if I have like some great athlete or a doctor or a relationship expert on. The theme of healing the past seems to be on the forefront of my mind. I just had Peter Atia on recently. who's a doctor. Love him. And, and talks more about like health span and lifespan, right? I'm sure, I don't know if you've interviewed him yet. And I'm trying to dissect this with him. I'm like, okay, you're a practicing doctor who works with clients. And at the end of this two-hour conversation, he was essentially like, I learned that over a period of time, it doesn't matter if you treat someone with all the right nutrients, uh, all, all the right sleep, the environment, uh, the right food, the right diet, the right workout plan. 
it doesn't matter. Sometimes it doesn't matter if they don't have the emotional healing and the emotional resilience. Because I'll work with clients who I give them all these things and they do it perfectly. They still don't get results. It's not until they learn to heal their trauma where then the results really start to amplify and, um, and accelerate. I was like, so you're telling, because he was like, I've been working on this book for four years and I had the perfect book, except I was missing mental health and emotional resilience. But it was the perfect book. Then as I started diving into it more for myself, doing therapy and healing and doing all these different types of therapies, I realized, oh, my quality of health was not the best. Even if I was trying to extend my life, my quality of health was not the best. And I hear this with relationship experts where they say, it's really hard to get into a new relationship if you haven't healed the past relationship first. Like at some point, you're going to need to heal. Whether you're in the relationship, a new relationship, or you're dating again, you're going to need to heal at some point. I think it's true for business and life in general, whether it be health relationships or business and life. Like you're never going to be truly fulfilled when you accomplish, when you win the world championship as an athlete until you've healed the traumas of the past. So I just think that's such a, a common theme is healing. And it's probably not something that people think about. They probably think about some other like trick or hack or whatever. But I'm such a big believer in emotional fortitude and understanding your emotions and understanding the emotions of others. And I think you need to figure out the, the process of healing in order for that to happen so that you can be armed mentally and emotionally when a pandemic hits, when an election happens that you're not happy with, when a tragedy happens with your health or someone you love, when? Because it's only a matter of when, when we're going to get knocked off our emotional well-being. And if we don't have the tools to be resilient during those times, we're not going to be able to support ourselves and we're not going to be able to support the people around us. And we'll be stuck in a trap of uh, emotional sickness, mental sickness, things like that. Uh, so for me, I'm really trying to learn those skills even more and, and practice them. I mean, I feel like we have right now, we're forced to practice these things more than ever. And so as much as I would love to not have to, I'm also trying to reflect and say, you know what? I'm grateful for this uncomfort uncomfortable situation. I'm grateful for this, this uh, challenging moments um, because I believe they're going to give me a more range of emotional abilities to be able to withstand something that's going to be greater in 5, 10, 20 years because it will be greater challenges in the future, in my opinion. And we need to be ready. Otherwise, we're going to be very sick. I absolutely agree with you. I mean, it is pretty powerful to see even in science um, literature showing that stress and anxiety can elevate inflammatory markers like interleukin-6 on blood tests. I mean, we're starting to see what you're saying translated you know, in blood tests and through diagnostics, but with stuff we've already always known that like these layers of trauma and layers of pain and layers of hurt, we can be like how you were in your early 20s where you can just like power through and push through and prove people wrong. But at a certain point, you're not really living your your deepest, most fulfilling life. And you're not allowing yourself to experience the joy. You're just moving through the motion. So, you know, you've interviewed, like I said, some of some of the best of the best, I would say, that that theme keep, keeps coming up for you. What are mm-hmm. some of the modalities of healing that you've used personally to get through 
physical abuse, your dad, your brother's yeah. prison sentence, like your breakups, like what, what has worked for you and what, what continues to work for you? Um, yeah, I'm always, I'm always willing to try new things. I've never tried like plant medicine type of stuff. And I know a lot of people have that's helped them. Uh, for me, I've never really taken any medicine and I get a little scared and worried about like what medicine does to the brain and things like that and the body. But I've heard great things about uh, plant medicine. For me, it's more about... Um, I've done a lot of group therapies. I've done a lot of experiential therapies. Um, I've done a lot of role-playing therapy to kind of reenact situations from the past and put myself in that situation. Uh, I do a lot of inner child healing where I, I imagine my younger self in front of me and, and having a conversation, hugging myself, things like that. Uh, I just do a lot of forgiveness practices. I, you know, I see therapists from time to time when I need to. Uh, I do other rituals for myself. I'll write letters to people and not give them to them, but I'll write them letters about the things, even when, they, when I'm upset or not forgiving them or hurt by them, I'll write letters thanking them for what they did give me. I'll write letters thank, uh, letting them know what they did that hurt me. And then I'll let, write letters forgiving them um, and moving on as different rituals. I'll also uh, burn letters and then bury the ashes and try to create something new and set an intention to grow something more powerful from that experience. I do this for myself. Like when I do things that I'm not proud of or that if I hurt someone, whether it be intentionally or unintentionally, I look at myself in the mirror and say, that was pretty stupid. Or <laughs> I know that wasn't intentional, but um, you hurt someone. And how can you take responsibility and own this and do your best to make it right? So I'm just constantly trying to learn. And I think it's, I surround myself with people that really keep me grounded people that I've known for years, people that I've known since before all this. And they tell me how it is. I'm like, listen, please give me feedback. If I feel like anything is getting above me or whatever, feel free to give me feedback. And I think that's been important for me because I think it's easy to get caught up in like hype or whatever about what you've created. But I just try to keep my heart as grounded as possible. And uh, the mistakes keep me grounded. So... And we're all human. We're going to make mistakes, but you have to have those people in your circle that remind yes. you of the couch. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> You're like, that. hey, remember that one time? <laughs> I know. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's let's get into some of the habits that create a millionaire mindset and a millionaire morning because you really have been a sponge with so many experts, and I know you've um, modified your morning and. I think the only way to level up and create new streams of income and diversify yourself and grow these different businesses is to level up every single time that you try to grow. So can we get into some of the things that we should all be focusing on? And if there are like main buckets that we should think about when it comes to... I mean, I'd love to be a millionaire, Lewis. So like, can we can we go down that road? That road? <laughs> For sure. Uh... I'll try to keep it as simple as possible. I think a lot of it is because I never, I never imagined myself creating the wealth that I have now. Um, when I was poor for a couple of years on my sister's couch, I was just like, I remember having one of my mentors that I was working out of his closet in his kitchen. 
after six months, I wasn't really making much money. I think I was, again, a couple hundred bucks here and there. And I remember I'd go on a walk with him a couple times a week. And I was like, I'm really struggling. I could, I could use some money right now. Like, I really want some money. <laughs> I'm, sick, I'm sick of living on my sister's couch. I'm eating macaroni and cheese every day, her leftovers. And I just don't feel proud of myself because I'm not contributing to rent, like nothing. I'm just a worthless human being is how I felt for a year and a half. And I said, I really could use some money. And he said, money comes to you when you're ready for it. And I was like, I feel pretty ready. Like I'm <laughs> pretty ready to receive some money. And he goes, money comes to you when you're ready for it. And I was just like, it frustrated me in that moment hearing that. But it's something I've remembered for the last 11 years because I wasn't ready to receive money then because I wasn't contributing enough and giving enough to other people with what I had at that moment. And so a practice that you should have in the morning that I really like is thinking, not what can I go uh, make today, but what can I give today? Like really thinking intentionally, who can I serve today? Whether that's your audience or an individual or a community or something, who can I serve today in a bigger way? I truly believe the amount of money you make is directly related to the amount of value you create in the world and your ability to package and position that value. Uh, there's a lot of people who give a lot of value, but they don't get receive the money that they deserve because they don't know how to position and package it and then create that exchange. So you got to create the value and then package and position it. And I didn't know how to do any of those. And so I just said, okay, I'm going to create more and more value for free. And then people started writing me checks without asking for it. Then I said, okay, how can I position and package this value to say, okay, I'm $100 an hour. Okay, I'm $200 an hour. Okay, I, I can create this book now with this mentor and sell this thing. Okay, I can position and package this course and sell this. And uh, you know, I was just figuring it out. But I didn't know how to give value in a big enough way. I was too worried about myself and what I, what I lacked. I was just interviewing Rachel Platten, who I think maybe you know. Um, and I was asking her, you know, as a, as a singer-songwriter who was making nothing for 12 years, nothing, maybe like 15 grand a year at her height, right? For 12 consistent years. I go, when did it switch for you until you started making millions as an artist where you had this hit song and all these other songs? She said, it's really funny because for years... I would just imagine money coming to me. I would write checks to myself and I would give money away. I didn't have any money, but I would like give bigger tips. I would give on the street. I would do whatever I could to give, give, give. And I really, in every billionaire I've interviewed, when I asked them, like, how did you really escalate your wealth and get it to the next level? Almost all of them say, I started giving more. So you may not have a lot to give right now, but it's thinking, what can I give with my my value, my resources, my time, my money, like how can you give? It doesn't have to be money all the time. But having that mindset of I'm going to give because I know it's going to come back in bigger ways. May not be from the same source I gave to, it may be from a different place, but it's going to come. It may not come tomorrow. It might take years. It's going to come. You know, what Tony Robbins tells his story of making money, he was like, I gave all my money to like this mom and this kid at a restaurant when I had no money. And that's when money started coming in. I feel like it's, it's hard to have faith, but you've got to be willing to give more value to people and eventually learn how to package and position that value for an exchange and not just give freely. And, and then when someone tries to give you money, you say, no, 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 keep it. Like, take the money. 
when you offer value, right? Take, take what you're worth. Um, so I think about that in the morning. I'm also a, a, a big proponent of keeping your space clean. I don't think money likes to travel to an unorganized place, whether it be an unorganized place in your mind, unorganized business structure, unorganized bedroom. So for me, I make my bed first thing in the morning, clean up the clothes or anything else so it's clean and organized. I truly believe that money flows to an organized place, uh, a structured place. Because if it's not structured, you'll lose the money quickly. You'll be chaotic and you'll lose it. You'll mistreat it. You'll unorganize your money and it'll go in bad places. And money wants to go where it can be most used for its good, I believe. So have control over your physical space, your mental space, um, and organize your space. Those would be a few things that I would say to start your morning. Well, it's, it's definitely resonating with me when it comes to, to giving away. I would say that this year in general, this pandemic year, which has been like so heavy for a lot of people, has really focused me on what you just said, which is like packaging your value. Because I look back on the last, you know, almost decade of running my business, and I did a lot of speaking for free. They were a lot of free clients for free. (laughs) Meet with my sister; it's a favor, and I love doing it. And I love doing it. But Mm -hmm. what can end up happening is you can be in a place where you can feel resentful, or you can feel burnt out, or you can feel tired, and go like, "I'm, I'm giving so much, and and I'm still. Sharing a car with my husband, living in an apartment without nightstands. Yeah. We're going to be stuck here forever. Like, you know, <laughs> that's, those are the things you start to worry about. But, but exactly what you said is like packaging it so that people can, because most of the time, if you're providing value, they want to repay Absolutely. you for that value. And Absolutely. They, yeah. I mean, it's like, I'll give some practical examples. I was giving for free for my podcast for the first really few years um, until I was like, okay, let me have some sponsors and try to make some money from this value I've been creating where I've been spending my money to create, to produce, to hire people and not charging anything. Uh, and then I was like, okay, I've given a lot of value to people. If I throw in a few minutes of ads and they still get it for free, it should be okay. And that has been a massive revenue stream for me for just sponsorships and advertising. And then another example is for four years, I was like, okay, I'm going to record all these with video, hire someone to film, hire someone to edit, create up space, all these things. But I'm not going to charge for video. I'm not going to have sponsorships on the video. For four, almost four and a half years, I had zero ads running on YouTube. And I was just like, I just want to give this for free. I don't want to feel like I'm selling anything. I just want to add value. And then I realized like at the beginning of this year, I was like... Every video I see has ads turned on. So what's the hurt? And that has been a massive revenue stream for us by just turning it on. Again, not selling anything, but just turning on advertising in a place that's used to it. So I'm already adding the value. I turn something on. And if I've built value for years, then the money has been flowing. I'm telling you, it's been flowing because of the amount of time and energy and value I've been creating in this these areas. And some certain things with my time, like there will be some times where people will ask to whatever meet up or do a quick call or something like this, and I'll do a lot of it. Right, I'll do a lot of it because I was really grateful when I was twelve years ago when I had nothing and people gave me 10, 20 minutes. 
But a lot of times I say no. And for the certain people, um, sometimes I'll say, no, here's my, you know, it's $100,000 for coaching. Take it or leave it. And some people are like, where do I pay? And other people are like, it's not for me. And I'm like, okay, it's balancing this. Do some when you can for free, but also having boundaries for yourself so you don't feel resentful and taken advantage of. And a lot of that is like reading the situation, what people want. If they're just going to only take and it's not going to be a mutually beneficial experience and figuring out how to package and position it again, because I could just get on the phone with everyone and I would love to all day long for 15 minutes and just add value. But that's just going to be helping one side. It's not going to be helping both sides, creating win-win. And so it's, it's balancing. Okay, I'm going to do a lot of, I'm going to do some of this here. I'm going to charge for some things here. And then if people want more, I'll charge more. And, um, if and if I don't have time, then go listen to one of my thousand episodes for free. You know, it's like there's free stuff that you don't have to pay me for. Right. You've created layers of motivation layers. for people where they can where they can buy into groups, they can get coaching privately, yeah. they can have free podcasts and exactly buy a book. There's there are are barrier the differences in the barriers to entry depend on what they're willing to pay and where exactly where and how much value you're creating. Yeah. And a lot of it is like, okay, if you just want to get on a call with me because you want to ask some questions, I've probably answered this question somewhere for free. So just go listen and you'll get a lot of wisdom. And you're yeah. going to learn more from my guests than me anyway. So go listen to my guests you know, and check out their stuff. And so I, I, I really try... And I'm like, okay, if they want more, you can buy into my community or get coaching and we can go from there. And if not, we've got so much content. You know, I don't need to repeat myself for someone that just wants one-on-one time a lot. Unless they really show something that I'm curious about, wanting to connect with them and learn from them as well. Like I remember I didn't have any skills, but I had so much passion when I was 2007, 2008. And I was just like a hound to these people that I was, wanted to mentor me. I was just like... But I was also trying to add value to them. I wasn't just like, can I pick your brain? Can you give me advice? Can you help me out? I was asking them, what are your biggest challenges? How can I help? And I think when someone approaches a potential mentor like that saying, hey, what are your biggest challenges? How can I help you? It's more of a, uh, a win-win experience where you're connecting with each other as opposed to someone reaching out to you out of the blue saying, hey, can you help me? Can you help me get a job? Can you help me do this? Can you help me with this? No, I got my own stuff to do where I'm trying to help everyone else. So you got to find a way to really add value, even if you don't feel like you can, uh, do your best. And such great advice because I can't tell you, I'm sure it's 10 times more for you, but just thinking of DMs and emails that I get of someone saying like, I'm so starting much. my business and I just... What should I do? Like, yeah, like, what what did you do? And I'm like, I've been interviewed about this a number of times. I know, go check but, it out. <laughs> but also that is a completely different narrative of like, hey, like I'm willing to donate some time to just kind of like be under your wing and be scrappy and learn and... um I definitely learned from my mentors in that way as well. And I think that passion and being hungry and being willing to do the work really changes the dynamic of, of who and how much that mentor is going to let you in. Because they're going to be... Right. They're going to see you as a valuable resource for sure. Exactly. Um, okay. I have a couple more questions before the Bring show. It. Before we end the show. Um, you obviously have multiple streams of income. And I remember going to USC for business school. And one of the things that I was taught that is that most millionaires and at the time in 2005, my senior year, four or five, <laughs> um, 
that most millionaires have at least five different streams of income. And you've built multiple different streams of income. You can look at the podcast having multiple um, ad revenues from you know iTunes and, and audio to YouTube, to your coaching programs, to live events, to speaking engagements, all the things. How do you prioritize where to put your time and energy? And how do you decide when to take on something new? For the last 10 years, I tried everything because I wanted to learn every different type of model and business model, things like that. So I did events, membership sites, free content with sponsorships, books, courses, um, physical products, uh, consulting, coaching, services. The only thing that I really haven't done is software and um, like agency model where it's like, I do the work for you. Like I manage this thing for you. I create this thing for you. But every other model I've pretty much tried. I've done, you know, physical book launches to ebook launches to free book launch. I've tried yeah. everything. And what I realized is that I found out the things that work for me for this season of my life. Those things worked for that season. But now I'm trying to simplify things that are scalable. So this is just where I'm at in my life, where I want to be able to maximize my time for the maximum impact. And I'm focused on mission, which the mission is to serve 100 million people weekly to help them improve their life. So I was doing a lot of things that weren't supporting that overall mission. So for the last two years, really, I've cut back on many things and streamlined it into a show that has multiple revenue streams within the show that is free show, but uh, sponsorships on audio and on on video now. So it's kind of two streams there, but one show and it's scalable. So I create it once and I can reach millions of people. Two, being a, a, a membership, a paid premium platform where they get more kind of like coaching from me, group coaching and kind of inside training on online business results, things like that. So it's still content, but it's something I can scale. I can create it once every month and get as many people in as possible. Uh, and the third thing that I'm creating right now that I've been working on since the pandemic hit over the last six, seven months is creating a coaching program. Because for the last three years, I had a, a mastermind where seven-figure entrepreneurs would pay 50 grand to be a part of a year-long group mastermind program. And I really loved it. I had a lot of fun. It was great connecting with these influencers and impacting them, but it wasn't scalable. So I realized, okay, this thing is making a lot of money. It's a lot of fun, but it's taking a lot of my time and it's not a scalable process to serve the mission. So I went back to the, what is the mission? What can I create and replace of that that can scale, that doesn't require me and a lot of my time like that thing did? That could also bring in more resources so I can create more jobs and help more people and reach the mission. So I were creating a greatness coaching program for, for people because what I realized is a lot of people don't need more content and tools. They need more accountability. They need more kind of support. They need the just, homework. Yeah. They need just like, I want to get this done. And I keep delaying it year after year after year. And I'm never going to do it. Or it's just like, oh, I'm afraid of this. Or what if I fail? Or what if it doesn't work out? Or what if... Uh, it's just whatever. Just like myself with Spanish, right? And until we truly invest in that thing we really want... It's hard for us to create deadlines for ourselves. It's hard for us to schedule it in because there's always another email we can reply to that's easier to do than the hard thing. And so it's creating a, uh, 
a more affordable coaching program for people that we can scale and get thousands of people in over the years. Hopefully, we haven't launched it yet, but it's it's reimagining how I can serve the mission and being mission focused. And then I can create the business model around the mission. So those are kind of like the main revenue streams within the business, but it's also we'll promote other products here and there and get an affiliate commission. We have joint partnerships where we bring in money every month. I've got my books. I've got my audio books that bring in money. I've got sponsored social media posts that it's like ancillary kind of revenue, speaking fees, all that different type of stuff. But um, it's just trying to simplify things that I can scale and scale myself. That's, That's where I want to be to be able to reach the mission. It's so great because I think a lot of times when things come in and people are like, will you do this ad or will you mm-hmm. come speak at it for us over here? You can get pulled in so many different directions. But if you have that tunnel vision on what is your mission, which you've actually, you know, which is very clear for you, which is like helping the masses in a short period of time, as much as a week, and being able to say, how am I doing that in these three buckets, getting really clear on what that looks like for you. And then being okay with your coaching program of saying like, okay, I'm not the main coach in this. No. It's not about me anymore. It's not about me. But all of these people need accountability. They all need, they all need a coach or a teacher to give them they the need, homework to get yeah. the work done. They need a process. They need a playbook. They need accountability. And they need to invest in their dreams. Because it's hard for us to complete big, scary things without investing in it. We pay attention to what we pay for. And if we're not paying and investing in it, our health, our nutrition with you, like whatever it may be, if we're not paying, paying for it, we're typically not going to pay attention unless we have discipline and willpower for days. But a lot of us don't have that sustainability in our 30s and 40s. It's harder when you have relationships and kids and all responsibilities. It's hard to be accountable towards your dreams. But I think those, those accountabilities and that, that process toward your dream, whether you achieve it or not, whether it become fluent in Spanish or not, the process of it, I'm going to look back on and be proud of. And for me, I've actually gone to a place where it's, I'm very goal, dream, accomplishment oriented, results oriented. I always have been as an athlete. It's kind of like how I've lived my life. But, and I achieve pretty much everything I set out to, but sometimes I don't. And I've learned to not beat myself up in that process and say, you know what, what did I gain from this? And where did it shift where it's actually benefiting me in a different way? And how can I still value this experience even if I didn't get the result or whatever I was looking for? So it's just changing my frame around it, my mindset around it. But yeah, I think when people get clear on their mission, they can truly start to figure out, okay, now what is the model around this mission that's going to bring the maximum results and bring financial abundance to me as a result, if that's something you're looking for. And I also like to think about, okay, I put a number on it. Like a lot of people aren't thinking, some people may have different opinions about this, but I like to put a number on it and say, how much do I want to make by when? It gives me accountability. And if I have a number, I ask myself, well, why do I want to have this much made in sales, right? For my business by this time, what would that do for me? And then I go back to the mission. Okay, it'll support this, this, this. It's kind of like when you go on Shark Tank. I don't know if you've ever seen this. Love that show. Okay, we're going to give you $250,000 for 20% of your business. What are you going to do with the money? And if you don't know what you're going to do with the money when you make it, then you're not ready for it. Again, money comes to you and you're ready for it. So you got to have a, a plan for the money to be used in order to benefit something. 
Otherwise, if it's just sitting there, money doesn't want to come to something that's disorganized from my, my belief. And so I try to, try to think about, okay, well, I'm going to be able to hire these people. I want to be able to invest in this. We're going to be able to buy this thing. And it's having a, a really a model behind the mission for when the money comes. So it just doesn't sit there and you say, okay, what do I do with this now? It's like, no, you know why you want this thing for your personal life, for your business career, whatever it may be. And I think that's, that helps me put a timeline. And then I say, okay, if this is the number by this time, what do I need to do every month, every week, every day in sales to reach that number? Then I break it down to a daily a financial gain goal. Like, okay, what needs to come in every day to average out that number over the next six months a year? Okay, what do I need to do in my business to reach that number? Well, I need to hire this person. I need to do more here. I need to create this. Okay. Now take those action steps. And it's just about trying to break it down in a scientific manner. You do this in science with food and nutrition, but scientifically with, with money and your workload to create those financial results. You're doing exactly what you do with, your, with learning <laughs> Spanish and with running a marathon. You're not saying I'm going to run 26.2 miles no. today or I'm going to be fluent in Spanish. You're saying no. like, I am going to run that ten, those 10 miles or that first mile or the first five miles and you're breaking it down to a totally attainable daily goal, mm-hmm. which doesn't feel as overwhelming. And when you just do that every day, you sort of wake up a year later, two years later and go, whoa, what did I create? What is, what is a million dollars in a year on a daily basis? So that's what? Is that... Um, let me think. Is that 80,000 a month? Is that right? You got to use your calculator. Hold on. Let me see. Let me <laughs> this real quick. Divided by three, six, five. So it's uh, $2,739 a day. Is that right? $2,700 times three, six, five. Yeah. $2,700 essentially a day. Call it $2,800 a day. Make $2,800 a day. That's a million dollars in sales, right? So you just have to think about yourself. Okay, how far off am I from that? You have to ask yourself, have I ever made $2,700 in a day? If not, okay, have I ever made that in a week? No, in a month. Okay, great. So I've made this in a month. How do I make this in half of a month? What do I need to do? Well, I either need double the sales or I either need um, double the price. And you just start thinking in this way, scientifically, okay, what do I need to do here? Can I do this? No, I can't do it yet because it's not enough value. Okay, how do I add more value and package and position it so I can do that? And that process will allow you to Start breaking it down. Okay, well, I can't do this on my own, so I need a team. Great. Who do you need? Go find those people. And it's just about figuring that process out. And it may not happen overnight. It may not happen in a year. But I think the more you work towards it and work towards something that you truly love, I think in the beginning of this interview, I was talking about like, I just try to have as much fun and play as possible because that attracts people to you. When you have fun, when you are a joyful human being, you would, people want joy in their life. And when you bring the joy, people are like, I want more of that. I want to be around that person. Whatever, whatever he's up to, whatever she's up to, like, I'm enrolled. I want to buy in. I want to be around that. I'll be at the event. I'll buy the book. Like, I'm in. You're like, yeah. What's the next smoothie cup? Exactly. Yeah. I want to know. Give me the Fab Four. You know, I'm in. So... It's called the Fab Four, right? Yeah, you, you yeah. got it. I remember from the book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I think uh, that's, that's... And there's all the things around like branding and all this other stuff as well that, that helps package and position 
for me as an entrepreneur, I really focus on design. I focus on intentionality around words because that's a package. That's a positioning. And if you don't learn how to be unique and stand out through your branding, your design, your copywriting, then it's going to be hard to charge more. It's going to be hard to attract more people to come and buy things. And so that's the way I think. And it's not easy. We've got our lives we're running. We got to be healthy. You got to work out. You got to, you know, friends, family, responsibility, like stuff happening. So that's why I work as an athlete. Like I remember the first day of football practice when I was a sophomore in high school. It's the first time I played football. It was, it was, I learned so much from just the game of football. In my first day of practice, we have a locker and there was a piece of paper hanging in the locker. It was a schedule. It's a schedule for every minute what we were doing in the next three hours of practice or two and a half, three hours of practice. There was no wasted minutes on the schedule. There was a five-minute water break. There was a 10 minutes of warm-up and stretching. There was a cool down five minutes of stretching. There was an offense practice, a defense practice, a special teams practice. There was a two minutes coaches talk in the beginning, a two minute coaches talk at the end. Everything was scheduled because we don't schedule it. It's not going to happen. That's why I've got tonight at six o'clock scheduled Spanish class. (laughs) And if I don't have it scheduled, but I have the intention of doing it, I already know that I'm going to get, going to have other things that are going to be more important seeming that I'm like, I'll just skip tonight. Like, I'll get to it tomorrow. I'll get to it tomorrow. And then tomorrow is 20 years of not getting to something. And it's the same thing with our health, with our career, with everything. It's like, I'll get to it. You'll never get to it unless we schedule it. So scheduling and structure comes back to organization. It's like organizing your room and your bed, your life will allow for more money to come in. I love it. Keep it clean. Keep it tidy. That's it. Live a happy, abundant life. What are... We're going to end with this with this question. What are three things you do every day to continue to be this vivacious and happy human that is is magnetic to other other humans? I ride a scooter. A push do you scooter. really? <laughs> a push scooter. You and my two year old son. I ride. Yeah, it's not ele- it's not electric. I don't uh, scoot on it with an electric motor. It's a push scooter from my uh, where I live to my my studio and. I live in Century City, so it's like all corporate office buildings and stuff. And everyone's in suits or whatever, walking around. And I'm literally just wearing like t-shirt, jeans, and I scoot past everyone on the streets and the sidewalk. And I just try to like smile and have fun with people. <laughs> that would make me laugh. <laughs> right? Because I, yeah. I think people um, forget to have fun and play. And you probably see this as a mom that your child is playing all the time and it gets you back into this childlike state. So I try to stay like a child-like playfulness as often as I can throughout the day. That might be like playfully teasing someone or just having fun or joking. Like on our team calls, I usually have someone share a joke. The art of play is something that I think uh, allows me to have a happier life. Having um, quality friendships allow me to be a happier, healthier, healthier life and having like accountability with my friends. I, I usually run with my best friend a few times a week. Just having, being able to have conversation. When I was writing The Mask of Masculinity, I realized that 50% of men don't feel like they have one guy friend that they can open up and be vulnerable to completely. They might have a guy friends that they can like have a beer and watch a game with, but not truly open up. And I felt like that was sad to hear these statistics that 
imagine not having one girlfriend that you could open up to and be vulnerable about. That you I don't think we'd like survive. The female race so, would not survive. <laughs> and that's why, and that's why, you know, when I was writing this book years ago and kind of doing a tour, a lot of women and men would come out to this tour and I would ask women, I would go, raise your hand, ladies, if once a week you get together with girlfriends, you talk about your vulnerabilities, your insecurities, your relationship challenges, your career challenges, your body image challenges. Raise your hand if you do this once a week. And every woman raises their hand once a week. I go, keep it up if you do this every day with your girlfriends, whether it be on a phone call or you're having tea at lunch or whatever, and you talk about this. And almost everyone had their hands up on a daily basis, right? It might be something quick, but every week for sure. And I go, for the men in the room, put your hand up if once a month you get together with one guy, a group of guys, and you talk about your emotional challenges, your body issues, your relationship challenges, your insecurities and vulnerabilities. Maybe two guys would raise their hand up hundreds. And I'd always follow up with saying, are you part of like a men's church group that meets like once a month as part of a process to just get together and safe environment where you're not shamed? And most of them are like, yes. And so I go, ladies, imagine if you only did this once a month or like 99% of the men in this room never do this. Imagine what it would feel like inside emotionally. And like you said, like the human race would not, the, the female race would not survive joking, yeah. right? Yeah. But I think this is what's kind of happened to the, a lot of men where they, they're, they're, they're acting out in really harmful ways, um, reactive and, and all that stuff. I've been this in the past myself as well, and I'm not perfect still. And it's hard if we don't go back to what I was talking about before of healing the past and learning how to communicate. So for me, having a good guy friend, having friends that I can be vulnerable with and open up about allows me to live a happier, healthier life. And then the last thing is uh, really expressing gratitude to people um, every day and appreciating them and appreciating my life because I'm, I'm very grateful knowing where I've been uh, you know, 12 years ago as a child, just the, the emotional stuff that I went through, I'm just very grateful that I have the tools now to be able to process traumatic experiences, pain, uh, things that were very hard for me to process in the past and I'm still working on, but I feel grateful that I have more accountability, support, and allow myself grace in times of stress. So that's what I'm grateful for. Well, I am so beyond grateful for you and for your time today and for bringing the greatness because this is this podcast is full of just really applicable tools for people and a reminder that you can be on, you know on the outs on your sister's couch and turn around and and build an amazing business, but with a focus on gratitude and giving back and working through your own personal traumas and knowing that like even you which may look like you've got it all figured out are still constantly working on yourself to grow and to move through the heaviness of life. So thank you so much for being here and for your time. It's so good to see your face. I feel like with the pandemic, talk about, uh, yeah, talk about like not seeing people. It's, um, I worry, I worry for, um, yeah, just the virtual world of social media. And then like now the pandemic and social distancing, I do, I do worry that people aren't connecting with their girlfriends or their guy friends and being vulnerable and having these kind of awesome conversations. So yeah. I just can't thank you enough. 
Of course. Appreciate it. Thanks, Kelly. Well, where can people find you? I will obviously link to everything in the show notes, but tell people where they can follow along. Yeah, you can follow me on social media, Lewis Howes, anywhere online or School of Greatness podcast if you want to check it out. Awesome. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Be Well by Kelly. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Learn more at bewellbykelly.com and follow me on Instagram at bewellbykelly. I would love if you picked up my books, Body Love and Body Love Every Day. They're sold on Amazon and at all major booksellers. 